Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from October 4th by Pastor Randy, titled, Dealing with Difficult People, Part 5. So, I have always liked the comics in a newspaper. Every morning, for as long as I can remember, when I've had breakfast, I've had a newspaper there, and I always get to the comics. In fact, one of my earliest memories of this is when I was in second grade. I'm at the breakfast table before we're going to school, and I'm eating my breakfast there and, and reading the comics. And then for some reason, unbeknown to me, my brother who never looked at the newspaper, never looked at the comics, for some reason he felt the urge to take that and just snatch it away from me. That was a mistake. I reared back and I just let him have it. Right there, right in the eye. Knocked him off the bar stool, just gone. Well, that was my older brother, so that was a mistake on my part. Because he got up and he, he pushed me down on the, I can still remember the easy chair sitting there. And he's reared back just like this. He's about to let me have it. And this is not stopping anything. Because he's four years older than I am. I'm in second grade. He's in sixth grade. And so a huge difference at those ages. But thankfully, right at that time, my mother comes around the corner and just stops him from pulverizing me. I was so happy to see my mother. But I was also so happy because my brother had to go to school and had to go to church for the next several days. And when people ask him, how did you get the black eye? He had to tell them his little brother gave it to him. So I still, to this day, will at breakfast while I'm eating, I'll open the paper and look at the comics. And one of my favorites is here from, from Peanuts. Let's see if we got this on the screen. Ah, okay. Back up. So she comes in and says, change channels. Uh, he, he, and he says, uh, switch channels. I want to watch my program. He says, why would you want to do anything like that? I was here first. I should be able to watch what I want to watch. She says, because these five fingers, individually, they're nothing. But when they curl up together, they form a force terrible to behold. He says, what channel do you want? Then he turns and looks at his fingers and says, why can't you guys get organized like that? Here's the point. Unity is a powerful force. We can get off that. This will have their attention the whole time. Okay, there we go. Unity is a powerful force. Our church, like any church, we have our political differences. We have our ethnic differences. We have our social economic differences. We shouldn't seek to change that. We shouldn't want to change that. Because it shows the power of the Holy Spirit to unite us. The power of the gospel to save us and bring us together. Jesus prayed for this. Jesus, knowing the power of unity, how it is a, is, is a force to behold, He prayed before He went to the cross, Father, may they be one just as you and I are one. May they be one so that the world will know that you sent me. Because Jesus knew, He understood the danger that preferences would have in a church, that his church would come together with all these different backgrounds, and he knew the danger would be for us to be divided among that. So he prays for our unity. And 
I want to make the point, he prays for our unity because of the danger of these preferences. We're not talking about sin, okay? If the Bible says something is sin, it's sin for all time, for all cultures, everywhere. But we're talking about preferences. And all through the ages, the, the church has known or had to go through times where preferences would come and want to divide people. Now, for the most part, we've done pretty well, but not always. In fact, today, most of our church starts are church splits. And they aren't church splits over foundational doctrine. They're church splits over preferences. And when they come today and they've asked pastors, what's the most difficult thing that you're having to deal with during this time of this pandemic? They have said, unity in the church. Because we have people from all different preferences, all different backgrounds, and some of them think that the COVID stuff is, is just a scam and others are scared to death of it. And you add to that the political unrest, the racial unrest. You add to that our council culture that exists today where people just want to find one thing wrong and then it's goodbye, see you later. They may attend a church for a long time and one thing that they don't like and all of a sudden they're, they're gone. And so council culture has been going on for a long time. We just have a name for it now, okay? And then you add to that social media. Because social media is, definitely doesn't make people more social. It, it makes them more angry and more divided. So we have an opportunity to show the world how we can have all these diverse backgrounds and, and different preferences and still be unified and still have an unconditional love for one another. But we're failing at it. We're failing at it. So we've been talking for the past couple of weeks about dealing with difficult people. But what about when you find those difficult people in the church? See, that's what Paul addressed to the church in Rome. Because you had these Christians, some came from a Jewish background, and some came from a Gentile background. Completely different. The Jews, they came out of a background that was full of, of ceremonial laws and, and sacrificial laws and, and, and very strict dietary laws. The, the Gentiles, they came out of a pagan background of worshiping idols, and around that was always involved in immorality. And so the Jews, out of their background, they, they liked to have special days and, and feast days. And, and, you know, the Sabbath day was, was special. And then Sunday was special. The special days for the Gentile, every day was the same. Didn't matter then what day it was. And for the Gentile, for them to eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols, that reminded them about the pagan, ground, pagan background they came out of and, and idol worship. They didn't want any part of it. But the Jews... They set an idol. It's just a piece of wood or a piece of stone. doesn't matter. And every person knew that the best place to get meat was the meat market right behind where they offered all the sacrifices to their idols. And so the Jews, they would go buy that meat market and get the meat that had just been offered to the idols and bring it to the potluck. Drove the Gentiles crazy. Those were the issues in Paul's day. But we've always had issues. There's always been different preferences that, that have tried to divide God's people. In the 1600s, it was hymn singing. Singing hymns in a church was considered a dangerous assimilation of contemporary culture. We didn't want to do that. They sang in bars. You don't do that in churches. You ought to read the story of Benjamin Keach. It took him 20 years, 20 years to get people to, 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 to go from being a non-singing church to, to singing hymns in the church. And it started out with, okay, we're going to sing a song right after the, we had the Lord's Supper, and you can leave if you want to. A lot of them got up and left. They didn't want to be a part of that. Uh, until finally they went to 
to, to we're going to have him singing here. And still, after that fine decided church, a lot of people left. 150 years ago in our country, it was given an invitation at the end of a sermon. You wouldn't do that. You don't want to put people on the spot to declare Christ publicly. Why would, that's an embarrassment. Why would you want to do something like that? In the 1950s, it was playing cards or mixed bathing. That was boys and girls swimming together, for those of you who don't know. I guess I need to explain some of these. In the 1960s, in some circles, women were condemned for wearing makeup, usually by those who should. And in the 70s, in the 70s, it was long hair. In fact, Moody Bible Institute, they banned mustaches, beards, and hair over the years. And every day, those students would walk, in, uh, walk into the, the, the Moody to, to their, their, their place of classes. They'd walk right past this large oil painting mural of Moody, violating all three of those. Also, it was music, rock music in the 70s. That was considered sinful, but country and western was okay. I guess they weren't listening to the words. I'm not sure what the reason was for that. And then in the, in the 80s, all of a sudden it became a sin to wrap leaves up, put them in your mouth, light them together, and blow smoke out your nose, I suppose, unless you lived in a tobacco state. Then it was okay. And the story goes, the German Baptists and the American Baptists, they got together, and the American Baptists started lighting up their cigarettes, and the German Baptists were so taken back by that that they almost dropped their beer. But anyway, you, you've had these things that, that have happened, these different preferences that different churches have, different people have. Some people think you're not being spiritual if you own a TV. Others like zombies, and they'll watch an emergency broadcast system test pattern. They don't care. They just stare at the thing. For some people, it's dressing casual. For some, they want to dress more formal when they go to church. Some like the King James Version. Some like newer versions, NIV or things like that. Some people kiss dating goodbye. Some people just kiss goodbye on lots of dates. You have these, these lots of different preferences. And music, that's a big one. Some like the, the older hymns and, and some the, the newer hymns. In fact, this has become such an issue and has been, and it's, it's kind of, gone away to most part now but it was such a big issue in churches that it was called the worship wars where some people they wanted you know just the older hymns and that had its roots in the 1950s in our churches some they wanted the the the, the newer hymns and praise teams and stuff, stuff stuff like that that had its roots back into the the, the the 70s and so it became an issue do we do the, the newer or the older? We tend to do a blend of both, so we just sort of tick everybody off here, I guess. But, but can you see how silly that is? God lives in the 50s. No, God lives in the 70s. Do you understand how, how just uh, unbelievable, just how that's just messed up? Three things that, that I keep in mind. Number one is when I worship, it's for God and not for myself or others. N number two if God's Spirit is moving, I don't care what we're singing. And number three, we live in a generation that loves to worship, and I want to be a part of that. Then there's tattoos. That's an issue. No, ah, some people have all the tattoos you want. Some people, no, nah, I'm not so sure that's the right thing to do. But the Bible actually talks about that. Oh, well, I may have to read. 
Okay, here we go. You shall not make any cuts over your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves, for I am the Lord. Well, there you have it in discussion, except for two major things. Number one, we're not under the law. Number two, in that same chapter, it talks about wearing clothes from two different types of fabrics. To which I'm violating, probably everybody else in here is violating today too. And let's back up one verse. Let's go to verse 27. You shall not round off the hair on your temples or mar the edges of your beard. Well, we'll say, but that's no big deal. And say the other, the, the verse 28 is? The truth is we're not under the law. And could it be you're trying to make the Bible say something that you want to say? And not what it actually does say? How many of you grew up in a home where there were certain things you could do on Sunday and not do on Sunday? Boy, I did. I remember on, on one Saturday, my mom was getting rid of some, uh, some bread. It was stale bread. So I said, here, let me have it. And so I took it out in the back. We lived out, out in the country. And I, I put, crumbled up in little small pieces and spread it all around this huge area because I want some birds to come by so I could take it and I could take BB gun and shoot the birds. Now, don't judge me for that. You know, this is after the thing I had with my brother. So I was feeling kind of invincible at the time. I could destroy anything. I felt like I was going to get by with it. But truth is, my BB gun wasn't going to really kill a bird anyway. But, but it did in my mind. Uh, unless I was real close to it. But, but I set the bread out there. Then I go, set off a little bit and I wait. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. Nothing. I go back a couple hours later. Nothing's going on. I check on it all day. Nothing's going on. But when we got home from church that Sunday, I look out our back window. There's birds everywhere. And so I go, all right. And I'm going to get my BB gun and go shoot the birds. You would have thought I told my dad I was going to shoot up with heroin. No, you're not. Not on Sunday. And then there's one that we're coming up on. It's Halloween. That's a big one in some people's eyes. Some decided we're not going to participate in Halloween because the Bible says don't have anything to do with witchcraft. So what they do is, I guess they get in their house and they turn out the porch light and close the drapes and, and play Bible Pictionary or Godopoly or watch VeggieTales or something like that and, and have game time. And other people say, well, hey, look, the, the witchcraft is the furthest thing from our mind. We're just trying to have fun and be good neighbors. Besides, hasn't Christians always been about redeeming pagan holidays? And so you have these differences of opinion, these preferences that are everywhere. Now listen, I probably mentioned several. The only ones that are important to you are the ones that, that are yours, right? You don't care about the others. The rest of them are silly, right? Unless they're important to you, then they're not silly. That's part of having a preference. They all seem silly unless it's yours. Here's what they did one time. Great story, makes a great illustration. They took these four monkeys, put them in a cage, and put a pole in the middle of it, and on top of the pole was some bananas. And so the monkeys would see the bananas, and they'd start climbing up the pole, and when they got near the top, cold water would shoot and, and squirt them, and then they'd go scurrying back down the pole. And they'd go up and try it again, cold water, back down, up, back down. All of them just tried it. For a couple days, they tried it. Then they stopped trying it all. Then they took out one of the monkeys, one of the four monkeys, and put in another monkey. That monkey would try and go at the pole. The rest of the monkeys would stop and pull them down. 
He tried to go up. They would take and pull him down. Try to go take and pull down until he stopped trying to go at the pole. Then they put another monkey in and took another, one of the other three monkeys that had been there originally and took him out and put another monkey in until they had four monkeys that had never gone up the pole and squirted by the water. But the other four monkeys would ever even attempt to go up that pole. What a beautiful illustration of how our preferences can become cemented into an unbreakable law. See, division happens when we want to make our preferences equal to God's Word. Division doesn't happen when we refuse to speak where God has spoken. Division happens when we refuse to remain remain silent where God has not spoken. Think of it this way. Do you remember when they, they brought that woman before Jesus who had been caught in adultery? And they threw her down on the ground before Jesus, and Jesus starts drawing in the sand? What did he write in the sand? What did he write in the sand? Did he write the sins of the guys who were sitting there fixing the stoner? Did he write the names of the, the women they had been sleeping with? What did he write in the sand? Well, if God wanted us to know, he would have told us. Bingo. God's able to speak for himself. If he wants us to know something, he's capable of, of expressing that, of letting it be known. So, we have all these different preferences and different fads in, in churches that we go through. I remember when I was in junior high, the fad was bell bottoms. Anybody do bell bottoms here? Okay, all right. Thought y'all might be too young, but I guess not. In high school, it was overalls, which was great for me because I had, after my junior, senior high, and year in high school, I had a job which I was putting up siding, and, and so overalls were great to put the pencil in and everything else, so I, just, I could just go straight from school to work. But there are a lot of people who wore overalls never worked a day in their life. Then it was leisure suits. Yeah, you're lucky. I was going to show you a picture. In fact, I had a picture of me in overalls, but it was too pixelated to show on the screen. You probably would have recognized me anyway because I, I wore my hair a little bit different back in those days when I was having overalls. But, but leisure, anybody here on leisure suit? Yeah, maybe not. Nobody wants to admit to it, right? <laughs> Fad and preferences have come and gone over the church throughout the centuries. Here's the thing I want you to realize. Very important. Christianity was considered a Jewish cult to begin with. Just a small group, a, a little cult. But this, this, this cult, this Christianity, within a couple of decades, had spread throughout the whole known world at that time. And one of the big reasons why they were able to do that was because they were able to work through their preferences, because of the power of being unified, despite their differences. The power of being unified despite their differences. That's why Jesus would pray for that. That's why it was so important that he prayed for that before he was crucified. May they be one, as you and I are one, Father, the same way you and I are, so that the world may know that you sent me. So we're going to go through how the first church dealt with this in Romans chapter 14. And we're going to look at at what Scripture has to say to this. And so as you're sitting there and and you're going, whoa, you know, he just stepped on one of my my preferences. (laughs) Uh, I'm upset. You know, the other one was silly. But this is very important. Why? Because it's mine. 
But let's look how this was dealt with. Because they had some very strong opinions in, 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 uh, in the first century. As for the one who is weak in faith, this is Romans 14.1, as one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. So who's the one who's weak in faith? Who's the weak guy? The weak guy's always the other guy, right? Because we don't want to admit we're the weak guy, right? Nobody wants to admit they're the weak guy. But the weak guy is the one who, who needs to grow in grace. He's like, he's like a baby Christian, and he needs to grow in grace. And his point's going to be, look, if you're strong, don't look down on the weak. So the weak guy is usually always the, the other guy as far as we're concerned. And then verse 2. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Okay, John Jan, this is not that type of weakness if you're out there listening on the Internet. Uh, it's not that type of weakness, but... What would happen is that the Jews, there's certain meat they didn't want to eat because they considered it unclean. And the Gentiles didn't want to eat meat because it may have been offered up to the idols. Okay? And then let's read this 3 through 12. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. Each one shall be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Remember the big issue was the, the Jews, they came out of this, this very strict you know, ceremonial background and very strict dietary laws. And the, the Gentiles came out of the, the pagan worshiping background. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. In other words, he's saying there's something more important going on here. We'll talk about that in just a minute. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the Lord, the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess to God, so that each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but let us decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. So what he's saying is don't try to be another person's conscience. The Lord will judge. So stop your unnecessary criticism over other people's preferences. Let the Lord judge that. And then he says this, don't pass judgment on one another, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. There's something more important than your preferences. And that's doing something that may cause your brother to fall. He says the same thing here in, in 1 Corinthians. However, not all possess this knowledge. But some, through former association with idols, eat food as, as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care, here's the point, take care, lest this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So whether you're a meat eater or not, your main concern is how is this going to affect my brother or my sister in Christ? No matter what your preference is, 
No matter if your preference is on Sunday, I'm just going to rest. Or Sunday, you know, I'll go fishing, I'll do whatever I want. No matter what it is, you want to make sure that above all, that you understand that when the other person has that other type of preference, they're still doing what they're doing, they think, to the glory of God. Don't put a stumbling block in your brother that might cause him to fall. Let me give you an illustration of this. Back a few years ago, when the Texas Rangers actually knew how to play baseball, they had won the division series. And in that, Josh Hamilton was the MVP. Now, if you know anything about him, he was the wonder boy. He was like the, the Mike Trout back then in the day. He came out of college. He had all the tools necessary to be a great baseball player. But he got hooked on alcohol, and he blew it. Destroyed his, his life, his career. But then he became a Christian in God's life right with God that helped him get over his alcoholism, and now he's MVP. Now, when, the, when a team wins a division series, they get in the locker room and, and they start celebrating. And the champagne's usually flying everywhere. They're popping corks and spraying champagne on everybody and everything else. But his teammates know that if Josh, you know, if he, if he sees that stuff, if he smells that stuff, if he tastes that stuff, if he gets it on his skin... This is, this is a weakness of his that it may bring him back into alcoholism. So instead of champagne, what are they spraying around? Ginger ale. Because that's what a team does for another teammate like that. The church could learn a lesson from that. They could learn a lesson from that. Don't do something that's going to cause your brother to stumble. Now look at verse 14. And, and we'll look at verse 22. I know... And I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it's unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. And here's verse 20. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. You know what he's saying here? Paul's saying that as far as I'm concerned, the Jews are right on this question. There's nothing unclean. It's okay to eat meat. That's what he's saying. He's siding on the side of the Jews. But he is accepting his brother without trying to fix him, without trying to change him. That's what the gospel does. It accepts without trying to fix on these matters. Remember, we're not talking about sin here, okay? We're talking about on these matters of preference. And then next. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do, you, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. There's something more important than your preference here, and that's the kingdom of God. Now, whenever you take part in the council culture. You know, you're, 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 you have a preference that I don't like, so I'm just going to cancel you out. Not going to have anything more to do with you. You've lost sight of what the kingdom of God is all about. Whenever you let your preferences dictate your fellowship, you have lost sight of what the kingdom of God is all about. Then he goes on. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. 
Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Okay. So, whatever you believe uh, about this, is basically, do not destroy the work of God. Let, let me back up one. I want to point this. He says, do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. You can fill in the blank there. Do not for what? You know, you, you, could, you could say, do not for food, do not for drink, do not for mask wearing, anything else. Destroy the work of God. Don't let your preferences destroy what God wants to do in this world. Just as it would be wrong... For an Amish person to come to me and say, I'm not spiritual because I use electricity, it'd be wrong for me to go to him and say, well, you're not spiritual because you don't drive a car. You know, don't let your preferences come and divide you and destroy what God wants to do. And then, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. You, you know, what, 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 he's, what he, he's saying there is whatever you believe about these disputable matters, just keep them between you and God. In other words, don't impose them on somebody else. You keep between you and God. That doesn't mean you can't talk about them. That doesn't mean you can't share, oh, I have those different preferences. But he says, don't try to impose them on anybody else. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. Because the eating is not from faith, but whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. What he is saying there is simply this. If you believe something is wrong for you to do it, don't do it. Follow your conscience. But don't make your list of do's and don'ts a list of do's and don'ts that everybody else has to follow if they're going to have fellowship with you. So, three things I have to go over now. Principles that you need to get down. Because every time I talk about this, people take some things the wrong way. So that's why i got to include these three things. Number one, Paul doesn't tell them, okay, you've got these differences, why don't you Jews go start a Jewish church, and on your sign outside, put a slab of meat. And you Gentiles, you go start a Gentile church, and you put on your side a slab of meat with an X through it. It's not what he says. Why? Because relationships are not disposable. They're not disposable. It's going to be difficult. Jesus recognized this. It's always going to be difficult because there's always going to be people from different preferences. All throughout our history, it's been difficult because you have people come from a church from all these different backgrounds. It's always been difficult. Always will be. But should not our commitment to God I won't say Trump. Should not it transcend our differences? Shouldn't it? Should not our common commitment to Christ be so much more important than all our different preferences that we have? Number two. There are areas that the Bible does not address. Lots of things that we deal with today that the Bible does not address. But then the Bible gives us principles to go by. You can't avoid these. 
Such as this. The, the, if the, the Bible says if it's wrong to give drink to a drunk guy, it's also wrong for a woman to dress in such a way that causes a man to lust. Now look at some principles. Let's look at one or a couple of them. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Paul isn't saying that sinful things are okay. He's saying anything that's not sinful is okay. But they're not necessarily helpful. In other words, they're not to my spiritual advantage. They won't cultivate holiness. It may be okay for me to do this, but is it to my spiritual advantage? Will it help me in the long run? And he says, but I will not be dominated by anything. I won't let anything make me a slave. You don't want to let a non-sinful thing be your master. A sinful thing or a non-sinful thing become your master. That's a principle. Here's another one. So whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's a principle. A lot of things that we deal with that, that, that the Bible doesn't address. So you, here's a principle. Whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. It's hard to be immoral for the glory of God, isn't it? It's hard to be bitter for the glory of God. It's hard to flip somebody off in traffic to the glory of God. Because the Bible doesn't say anything about driving in traffic with all these pagans out there, does it? All these uncircumcised Philistines. So when they pull out in front of you and you want to, uh, it's hard to do that to the glory of God, isn't it? So that's a principle. Uh, another one that, that I did, I don't have the, the, the verse uh, down there is, is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm trying to remember uh, how it goes. Uh, exactly, but anyway, I don't remember the whole verse. But it says, avoid even the appearance of evil. Listen, if, if, if something that you're doing that somebody can look at that and, and say, oh, man, I can't believe they're doing that. Look how wrong that is. He said, avoid people being able to look at your life and go even something that appears to be evil. That's a principle. And then third is simply this. Just as a lot of people have convictions that should be preferences, they have things that they're staunch on, but there's no really biblical support for that. And so there should be preferences. It should be things that they just sort of let go. Just as people have convictions, that should be preferences. There are a lot of people that have preferences that should be convictions. Your moral purity ought to be a conviction. What you, what you think culture can do about a three-month-old baby in the womb of a woman ought to be a conviction. Or if you didn't catch that, abortion ought to be a conviction. Forgiveness ought to be a conviction. What you do with your money, how you approach your money, that ought to be a conviction. There are a lot of things, just as a lot of people have convictions that ought to be preferences because there's no biblical support of that, a lot of people have preferences that ought to be convictions. And they don't. So, here's the motto. In doctrine, unity. In opinion, liberty. And in all things, love. In doctrine unity, where the Bible speaks, we stand firm. Other things, we'll use principles in the Bible to guide us. And then we'll allow for difference of opinion. 
when needed. You got that? In doctrine, unity. In opinion, liberty. And in all things, love. So when there's things about doctrine, we will stand firm. Other things, we'll let God's principles in the Word guide us. And then when necessary, we allow for differences of opinion. After you go through the doctrine, after you go through God's principles, if there's still things that follow that preferences value, then, then we're going to love people anyway. So, whenever Jesus showed up, there were certain groups of people that got very uncomfortable. And if Jesus was to show up in our culture today or with us today, the people who would be uncomfortable would be, number one, those who had a list of do's and don'ts that they wanted to make everybody else live by. Their own list of do's and don'ts that had no biblical understanding. Those people, he would make feel very uncomfortable. Another group he'd make feel very uncomfortable were those people who had preferences that ought to be convictions. Who just say, oh, it's, it's, it's my sin, so it's okay. Your sin, oh, that's terrible. But my sin, it's okay. It's those people who live by preferences because of the, what they want to allow in their own life when they should have had convictions and they ought to get rid of the sin. The third group that always felt very uncomfortable when Jesus showed up was a group thought that by being a good person they could go to heaven. Just by being a good person. And we always make the point around here that good people don't go to heaven, only forgiven people go to heaven. So, it will always be a temptation for God's people to let preferences divide them. And remember this. These Jews, they felt very strongly about what they did and how they held up certain days. They felt very strongly about that. The Gentiles, they felt very strongly about not eating meat sacrificed to idols. But Paul looks at that and he says, yeah, I see your side, but you need to understand. You know, this is not anything that's, that's forbidden in Scripture these aren't, these aren't sinful things within themselves. These are different preferences that you have. And you have, to, you have to know how to come together and love each other despite these differences. Why? Because unity is a powerful force. It's powerful. It can be a great witness to the world how we as a church can come from all different backgrounds and, and all different things and, 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 and to love each other unconditionally, to show the world how that's done. Because they don't know, do they? They don't know. They haven't a clue how to do that. So, if you find yourself in, in one of these places... It's my prayer that you'll open yourself up to God this morning and allow Him to work inside of you and do a work in your heart. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.